It's episode 81 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Veen. Today on the program is Hannes Pasqualini. He's the co-founder of Paper Noise, a firm that specializes in the design of synthesizers, music components, album art, and more. We're going to talk about the process of finding a niche, building a reputation, and the art of music. Hannes, thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Uh, tell me, what part of the world are you recording in right now? I live in, in northern Italy, on almost on the border to Austria, you could say, that part. But that's the uh, Dolomites, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I know a little bit about that. I've never been there. I've been to Milan, but not as far north as the, as the mountains. But I've seen it all the time watching the Giro d'Italia on TV. So <laughs> I have a sense of how beautiful it is up there. Yeah, it's a it's a great it's a great region. It's very beautiful and it's it's great for making holidays, I guess here. But you do business there. <laughs> yeah, nobody's keeping me from having a trip to the lake or to the mountains between between one work session and the other and it's actually it's nice to live a bit more out in in the in the green and in the middle of nature. It's one of the uh sort of one of the interesting byproducts, if I meet designers all the time, uh, especially on the freelance side uh, of things or contractors or whatever, who literally can kind of live wherever because of the, uh, the, the ability to do that collaboration with their clients remotely. So um, pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I, I mostly work from, from via internet with people. It's been like this since I, I went uh, self-employed. And so at one point I had the the choice to say, okay, I can stay, I can move to a bigger city and see if I have a, a better infrastructure and more opportunity for networking there, or I can just carry on this way and move even more out into the countryside. And in Not the end, it, that was the choice. Yeah, I think you made a pretty good choice. Although, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm recording from London and uh, right in the dead center of the city and kind of love that as well. But uh, maybe, maybe we're all just looking for a little balance. <laughs> so let me tell you uh, a little bit about why I wanted to have you on the show. I am, uh, I am currently sitting at my desk. Uh, I've got a computer here. Uh, I've got my microphone that I record with. And then I have this array of electronics in front of me uh, that's covered with knobs and little jacks and wires connecting all the jacks together. And somehow, uh, out of all of this sort of very complicated looking machinery, I am able to make uh, electronic music using this sort of combination of kind of math and voltages and things like that. Uh, I discovered this sort of analog synthesizer uh, whole world a couple years ago and was totally fascinated with it as as almost this antidote to uh, the the constant digital world that I could turn off all my devices, I could put my headphones on, and I could plug these little cables in and make this fun music. Um, uh, and one of the things I started to realize is that there's this whole industry of small companies and some big companies that make these little components uh, that that you can that you can kind of wire together. And it's called the, there's a standard called Eurorack. Uh, it's called a modular synthesizer. And as I got into the communities that were talking about it, I I started to see you posting as the person that has worked with a number of companies that I respected to do the design of their modules. And I thought, oh my god, how cool is that? So how did, how on earth did you get into something like that? Yeah, it's a long story, but I it's mostly been 
I would say, a series of coincidences and fortuitous events. Um, the whole thing kind of dates back, I think, to 2012, 13, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I have actually been into electronic music, well, I think ever since uh, high school, or what they call middle school here. Uh -huh. And I used to, I had this like little tape deck that had two microphone inputs and each microphone input would go to uh, one side of the stereo field. And I would use that to do like multi-track recording in a very <laughs> basic way. Yeah. And then I went on, I, I started to use trackers in when trackers started to be like a viable option on, on, on PCs. And from there, I went through the whole, you know, VST virtual instrument uh, thing on the laptop, like everybody else in the beginning of 2000. And I reached a point where I just kind of stopped with everything for years and focused just on on, on graphic arts. And I, I was doing lots of illustration and, and graphic novels, actually, at the time. Until then, <laughs> I made this very long and very laborious graphic novel about jazz music at one point which kind of yeah it's not a long story but basically that project kind of made me need to get a break from everything mm. and so I decided yeah let's just do something completely different something that doesn't have anything visual and doesn't need me to think about the, the stuff I usually do and it picked up making music again but then things had changed in the meantime and I, I i also didn't want something that had to do with computers or screens or i wanted something very physical something that was that would let me focus just on sound and music so i got into the whole diy business basically um because that was the time where uh the first interesting i would say and and kind of easy to make DIY kits uh, started to show up and I built a series of those and and at one point somebody on a forum posted something about a small 8-bit synthesizer that looked really interesting and but there was just like I don't know 40 or 80 kits available and I had I thought yeah that sounds really interesting let me try to sneak my way into getting one of those and I promised the person that I would make a nice case design if I could have one of those DIY kits. And I got one, and that turned out to be the first Shruti synthesizer by Mutable Instruments. Ah, yeah. Uh, Mutable yeah, Instruments that, is sort of one of the leaders in the field of all day. Kind of. Exactly. Mutable yeah, yeah, Instruments yeah. is one of the later became, or has become one of the, the biggest brands in Eurorack. And that's how I... I, I I actually first got in touch with with it. So you had, uh, so y you were doing sort of, uh, uh, when you say DIY, you mean like I order a synthesizer and what I get in the mail is a bunch of little baggies full of resistors and diodes and knobs and, and then you solder it all together. Like that, that was sort of uh, how you were spending your time as a way to, again, like get, get away from the computer? Yes, exactly. That's that's how it works. You, you get all these, you get a... Um, the resistors and the components and screen or whatever and then you have to solder it all together and usually make your own enclosure for it and when i say the easy easy kits 
those kits like the Shruti were a bit easier because you would get all the components. Most of the projects at the time, you you had to find your own components, which is an extremely annoying and laborious process, which I have gone through a couple of times, and which is, yeah, it takes a lot of time, and usually you end up with the wrong stuff and nothing works. <laughs> no, and, yeah. I've tried to do this myself. I, I, a couple of times successfully, I've, do, I've done a little bit of this. And yeah, like you, you order the, the quote-unquote kit, and you get a uh, circuit board in the, with a, maybe a front panel. And then you have to like go through this big list of all the components and order them probably from China. And you, like, I need 11 of these and 19 of these. It's, it's, it is a, well, let's just say it's a hobby. It's, <laughs> it takes a little, uh, it takes a little effort, but uh, very satisfying when you plug it in and hopefully, you know, it works and it makes noise. Yeah. Sometimes they do work. <laughs> That's right. No. All right. So you saw this kit that you wanted and kind of you, you did a barter. You're like, I'll design a, a a panel for you if you give me the kit. Exactly. Ah, yeah, because there, was so, there wasn't a lot of those available. So the requirement was you need to convince me to, to give you the kit, you know. <laughs> you need to have a good reason for it. Because, you know, one thing that happens a lot with these kits is that people just grab them because um, there's a bit of a you know there's few i need to grab one then i'll see if i actually want to build it or um so you don't know if people really do something with it or if they have the required skill level to actually complete the project and you know not mess it all up and then blame it on you and stuff like that it's 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 not so easy you know when you make diy kits uh, there's a lot of complexities that come with it right uh, yeah, totally. Um, and so, uh, why did, so you thought oh, I've got some graphic design skills. I've, I've studied design. Uh, this is something I think I could, uh, I could help them out with. Had you ever done anything like that before? It was, it was a bit more complicated than that. Uh, because I, I got into the whole, the whole community through the mutable instruments forum mostly, and through a couple of other forums um, and I started, you know, to, yeah, become, you know, friends or with, with some of the people who used to hang out there. And at one point, Emily Gillet from, um, Mutable Instruments, since I had posted some, some stuff I was making at the time on the forum, uh, asked me if I will, would be interested in designing a couple of illustrations for some postcards and stickers that were supposed to go with, with the newer surety kits. And later, yeah, and that, I said, yeah, of course, that sounds very interesting and a fun thing to do, you know, to, there's always this thing about being part of the DIY community and giving back to the DIY community. Um, so I was very interested in kind of getting more engaged with this kind of project. And from there, I started to design some smaller uh, graphics for the circuit boards themselves and to talk about uh, yeah how could we make the enclosures and stuff like that and at one point Emily Gillet decided to stop with the DIY kits and get into like a you could say a bigger market or a market that wouldn't involve too much DIY and and this coincided with the uh, the discovery of, of of modular because people had been asking for a long time hey let's why don't you make a modular version of the shruti which wouldn't have made much sense but at that point it became clear that there was a way to 
take the code that had been developed until that point and turn it into something that would work for modular. But of course, there was the need to make these modules work for a a market where you produce things in industrially, you know. Right. These modules were made in factories and they needed to have proper panels and they needed, we later figured out, also proper interfaces. Um, and so I got contacted to design the panels for the first four mutable instruments uh, modules. And that's basically where it where it started. And from there, it kind of snowballed into, you know, other people making modules, seeing my work, then contacting me, asking me, hey, what do you think about uh, have these modules I would like to release? Would you be interested in designing panels for them? Or I need a logo, I need a website, I need a whole you know, visual identity. Um, I need to work on my branding. Because the more people started to appear uh, in, in, in the market, you need to keep in mind that at the time, uh, when I started, I think there was a couple of bigger... Yeah, bigger image is very relative to the small size of the market. But yeah. you had a couple of bigger players like Dupfer and Make Noise and a couple of others and a bunch of smaller ones. But it was really like a handful of people who would produce these modules. Mm, I think now we're, I don't know, I have lost counters, hundreds of them. And it, it kept growing and new people started to show up and people who had some ideas and would never have done anything. And at one point there was kind of a market for it, at least if you are doing this like as a, as a side project or something like that at the beginning. And so more people needed some proper branding and, or at least a decent logo because you had the need to be kind of, uh, make yourself, uh, identifiable and distinguishable and, build up, you know, whole brand in this, in this market, which was getting more and more crowded. What a remarkable story. Uh, I got some questions for you, but I want to take a little break and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Today's internet users expect a fast web experience, no matter how good your content or how effective your marketing. They'll most likely bounce if your website is loading too slow. With real user monitoring from Pingdom, you could discover how website performance issues affect your visitors' experience so you can take action and do so before your business is impacted. How your visitors experience your website differs depending on the browser, device, the platform they use. Uh, you can identify with Pingdom how your visitors are experiencing your website so that you can make informed optimizations to deliver great performance to those who matter the most. And did we mention that it's built for scalability? Real user monitoring is an event-based solution, meaning you can monitor millions of page views without compromising the fidelity of your historical data or breaking the bank in the process. Get live visitor insights today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, Use the code PRESENTABLE at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right. So you told this kind of amazing story of, of being involved almost in a like hobbyist DIY uh, message board or, um, or a lot of the stuff happens on Facebook as well, but sort of getting into that community uh, and offering your services and kind of being at the right place at the right time. It sounds like a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was mostly it. 
Uh, but you have sort of developed then, it sounds like a reputation uh, over these, I don't know, 10 years or so that it sounds like you've been doing this, uh, for Paper Noise, which I understand is you and your wife, uh, to be a, kind of the place everybody goes to now, right? That sort of uh, is starting off in this industry and or trying to enter this industry or even trying to sort of level up in the industry. Yeah, it's it's actually, it has proven to be also a bit of a challenge because, of course, if you start to make everybody's panels, uh, which of course we don't, but like as a hyperbole, you know, we, we started to work for a lot of people and, and then you ask yourself, how am I going to make everybody look unique while kind of staying true to yourself and kind of, you know, it, it's, it's, not, it's not that easy. One, on one side, we solved it because my wife has a very different style from me. I tend um, to be a bit more uh, clean and, and a bit more function-oriented, while my wife has a very whimsical, um, cute style, uh, which comes because she mostly does illustration. And so, for example, uh, she did all the right devices modules, which feature very cute cartoonish characters and the whole graphic design is very heavily uh, inspired from from the world of, of cartoons mostly adventure time that kind of, of yeah of, yeah of thing those are great little space aliens and dinosaurs and things like that yeah exactly little cute characters that kind of reflect what the module is doing so for example the a delay module which is like an echo effect um has this ghost-like characters which uh, duplicate themselves. So it, it kind of represents what's, what the module does. Uh, and, and we have designed a, a bit crusher effect, which you know crushes the audio, makes it very um, noisy. And that's a little dinosaur which stumps on everything and, and eats, eats the, the instruments and stuff like that. So it's a, those are very fun projects. Um, and they have a very different style from other things I have been working on, like in uh, Mutable Instruments, for example, that has a, a, a lot more function-oriented, bit minimalistic style, uh, or or even the Hex Inverter things, which is another maker from, from Canada, where the panels are very, yeah, very functional, very kind of not really minimal design, but... They have a, a very abstract style, and the whole branding we have developed kind of takes elements from popular culture. So, for example, sci-fi, B-movie kind of monsters, and um, cyberpunk uh, from an eighties uh, kind of cyberpunk aesthetics. So, yeah, we 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 try to work on every project in a way so that we can build up kind of a different world and a different mood. And it's, 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 it's been a challenge to be able to kind of keep certain elements in a constant, but I think it worked out so far because we identified certain recurring um, elements which work for us and which work for, for the modular uh, world and for for the interfaces yeah so and you know that's one of the parts that i find so interesting about this and i should maybe back up and explain to people that aren't familiar with this world that that you're not designing individual synthesizers but these are literally little components that kind of almost like lego pieces fit together to build a synthesizer or 
uh, or, or a rack full of gear that can, that can produce a bunch of music. So you might have one that, like you said, just does a delay or one that just affects the tone or one that just like makes the sound and lets you change the note that it plays. And, and, and essentially one of the, the things that I think people find so attractive about this world is that you can mix and match all these parts to get exactly the kind of thing that you want to play, the kind of instrument that you want to play. But what, what that means is that you're getting a bunch of different things from different manufacturers that look very different from one another, but still have to have some kind of conventions like the, you know, like how the knobs work and, uh, and how you plug things in. So you, you kind of have to balance this bet- uh, like, like so many other products, but between brand and the pure functioning, the usability of the device. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, there, there's, the, the Eurorack world is is a bit uh, for some people it could be a bit of a designer's nightmare. I find it a very interesting challenge, but it you know you have so many different styles and approaches, and it's a it's a world that skews standards whenever it can. There there is some basic standards regarding how big things should be, and and you know the voltage standard from a technical point of view. But apart from that, everybody seems to be doing whatever they want, which is also kind of interesting and refreshing for me. It it gives a lot of freedom and it's it takes away, you know, the too strict too how could you say that? Um you know, often design tends to control everything. And sometimes it's nice to give up that control to a certain degree. Interesting. And you're like really f- kind of forces you to do that because you don't have control about a lot of things. You don't have control about uh, over, for example, which modules will be put next to your modules. Right. I mean, there is people who have a certain obsession for making like one system from the same brand, you know, so things or or people who just swap out uh, the panels with like more neutral ones. So everything is a bit more... Um, consistent or um, less uh, crazy all over the place, but yeah, it's 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 a control. You as a designer, you don't have uh, over your 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 work. It will end up in whatever people want to do with it, and it might look good or it might look horrible and it might not fit in at all. You know, so there's always this thinking about what can I do to reduce that to a certain degree. But I think it it's it's interesting because I think for many people it really helps to build up um whatever mastery is with the instrument. Because um being every each thing being so different, it's probably easier to build up kind of a memory, a visual memory of where things are and what they do. Because otherwise, when you start to have that many knobs and that many possibilities and all those wires and each time you patch the system so you put in the cables in different places so the whole thing changes radically and does completely different things so how are you going to remember all of that you know you need some things your memory can kind of grab onto and probably the fact that it's not too everything too too similar is probably helping people to do that 
Yeah, I think I've seen people sort of performing live uh, with their big, you know, modular synthesizers, and and uh, yeah. So you know, I want the I want the drums to be a little different. They their hand reflexively goes there, kind of like a you know, if a, a pianist is reaching for a chord, their hand kind of reflexively goes there. Um, so the, I, yeah, I I think you are onto something there around the like the physical manifestation gets into our muscle memory in a way that. Uh, that we don't even have to think about anymore. We could just like get ourselves lost in the creative flow and go, you know? Yeah. That's something I don't feel, well, I guess I do feel that way in some software applications, but it is, it is definitely different when I don't have a physical device right in front of me to come and reach for and things like that. Interesting stuff though. Yeah, for sure. I have a bunch of more questions for you. I want to take one more break and we'll be right back. This episode of Presentable is brought to you by our friends at Kensington. These are the people who make universal docking stations that are designed to increase your productivity. It's so easy to use. You can get access to far more parts on your laptop and make your nice MacBook, Chromebook, or other laptop as powerful as a desktop. It's plug and play with no drivers, so you can enjoy up to dual 4K displays with HDMI and DisplayLink video connectors, plus USB 3, USB-C, and Thunderbolt 3 with power delivery available. The Kensington engineering team has three decades of experience making these things uh, in high volume manufacturing and all sorts of other IT products as well. Plus, they have rigorous test cycles and quality control. That means all their products are tested above industry standards. So if you're an IT decision maker looking to find the right docking solution for your organization, check out Kensington's Pro Concierge program and test drive any one of their docking stations today. Visit kensington.com slash presentable right now to check out the Kensington docking stations. That's kensington.com slash presentable to learn more. Thanks to Kensington for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right. So we were just talking about just the wide variety of, of design and the, and the interplay between how things look and how they work, which is sort of at the crux of all the kind of design that we do. I wonder though, what, what do you have kind of a standard process when some, somebody comes to you and says, all right, I've been working out all the electronics. I have a really good idea of what I want. Can you help me? Can you help me make it look good? Like how, where do you even start with them? There's usually there's two scenarios. Uh, either somebody has already designed a panel or at least a layout for all the controls that are needed or somebody just has the bare electronics prototyped in in some way sometimes it's it's even just an idea you know somebody says okay i think this could be a cool idea and i think it should work like this but i i've not started to really do anything at all yeah mm, the first case is like my least favorite one because <laughs> It's the classic situation where somebody asks you, can you make it pretty? And they say, yeah, I can make it pretty, but what's pretty? You know, that starts a big discussion, but yeah. But um, I do both. Uh, Usually I end up uh, changing lots of things on the panel, even if people think it's final, because it's it's really, it, it needs to be in a balance. You can't design graphics around functionality without uh, that functionality being in a balance with the graphics, you know? So the second scenario is is my, actually my my preferred one because I usually start from how am I going to interact with the instrument? 
what am I going to do with it? How do I make it both uh, usable from a you know physical, ergonomic point of view? How do I make it uh, memorizable? The thing we were talking about earlier. How do I make sure people are able to build up a memory of where things are and how they work? And and the graphics usually come in in a second um, moment. Once once the layout and the whole interface is more or less defined, I start to think about how the graphics could work into that. And then usually I rework the whole interface based on what the graphics uh, end up looking like. And there's also two mm, scenarios. There's people I work with uh, constantly, like each new device they make, they have me design the panel and and then there's people i work with for the first time you know the the kind of uh situation i mentioned earlier somebody has a couple of ideas decides to get into the eurorack market yeah and you need to build everything from the ground up you need to you know design a whole design language for for the modules and for their whole uh visual identity so in in that case there's a lot of work that comes before that, of course, where you figure out the mood, you know, a style, references, uh, how is it going to look like, how is it going to work in general, how do I design a whole system that we can use for, you know, for the next whatever number of modules that they will be making. And in the case of somebody I have been working with already, it's mostly a matter of taking that and seeing how can you make that work with that module? You know, sometimes mm. it's very easy. Sometimes you need to come up with a lot of new solutions because you, you can never, of course, predict all the possible scenarios and all the you know problems you will have to solve. So sometimes you need to even break your own rules and make something fit that you would never have thought you would have to make fit, you know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's one of the challenges of any design language is how do we how do we try to anticipate what's coming in the future so that we have a consistency for a body of work, right? Because some of these uh, manufacturers have 20, 30, 40 different modules and they want them to all look like a, uh, uh, you know, to, to, to have consistency and represent the brand and, and all of that. That's really interesting. Yeah, and it's interesting because I, I come actually from, um, you know, a more agency related background before getting into this whole Eurorack thing and there of course we would develop these corporate identities where you would try to figure out as much as possible in advance and you design everything and and usually you just then hand it over and and it and you don't touch it for a bunch of years you know until somebody has it redesigned in some way and maybe probably it's not even you being doing that when they redesign it. And with Eurorack, I have made the experience that what actually sometimes works very well is a kind of more organic process. Um, there's a card in in Brian Eno's um, card set um, which expresses that uh, very well, and it's gardening, not architecture. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, wait, that's what from was his the uh, card set called Oblique Strategies. Um, yeah. Oblique Strategies, exactly. 
there's one card uh, which really that expresses the way uh, I sometimes work, where things grow like a plant. They, it's not like you you plan the whole building and then you just have somebody build it. It's it, you you let it grow kind of, and then you see where you need to trim it and and how much you need to fertilize it, and if you have to, you know, move things a bit more and and stuff like that. And and some of the like hex inverter, which is the the Canadian maker I mentioned earlier, the one with the sci-fi um, references. Right. That one actually developed very much in in that fashion. We started from the logo. I think the yeah. I, I started by making just just design just a logo, and and we started just it, it was a, a continuous stream of 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 dialogue between me and 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 Stacy from from Hex Inverter about his vision and what he wanted to make and what the instruments were like and each time we had to make a new module we would rediscuss things and and add new pieces and it would just keep growing but in a very organic and very natural way and i think the end result is 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 very consistent it's maybe more consistent than something that has been planned at the beginning without knowing all the things that we 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 came into knowing through the process, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, one of the things I think that is helping Eurorack uh, has kind of get, uh, become more and more popular is that there's a virtual sort of open source piece of software called VCV Rack, which lets... which it's, it's just like uh, you, you can sort of use all the modules, uh, but digital versions of them, uh, and you can try it all out for free, and you can kind of make music and drag these virtual cables between everything. It's a very visual interface. Uh, and I'm wondering if you've had any, like, have you de- done any design for these kind of virtual versions of things and, and what that might be like? I, there's a couple of my designs that ended up in, on VCV Rack. Well, of course, all the mutable instrument stuff. And some things I had made um, more like as a fun project on the sides. Mm. I haven't really done any any commission designs for VCV Rack yet. I bet it's coming though. It seems like it's growing and growing. I will. I, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to this piece of software as well as a bunch of other everything else we've talked about. Uh, but if anyone is wor- wondering what on earth are we talking about with little modules and making music this way, that's a good place to start. You can run it on your Mac or your PC, and you can kind of play around and say like, "Oh my gosh, I get how I see how all of this stuff works and and things like that." But um, yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. Pretty cool stuff. It seems like everything in this area is growing. It, it seems to be kind of uh, almost like I don't know. A, 10 or 15 years ago when uh, everything was digital, people started getting back into vinyl records, right? For some reason, this like analog version of making music is uh, starting to catch on for, for probably similar reasons and seems to get bigger and bigger every year. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing that explains why... I mean, I have to say that I really like VCV Rack because it's um, it lets you do all the experiments with things you don't have and you can't possibly have and do all the absurd stuff like what if I take 10 of the same module and do something weird with it. Yeah. Um, so I really like it for, especially for those what if scenarios where you just want to try something. But if you, if you look at it from like a distance, you'd say, why would anybody want something like that on a computer, you know, where you can have anything else? Why, why would you, 
want something that has all the restraints of a physical modular in in on the computer where you don't need you, you don't have all the hardware restraints why would you want that <laughs> but there is i think kind of um it's it's the magic of of limitations i think it's uh yeah the whole you know we we, we all know that i mean at being people who work with creativity most of the time you need to limitations to to be really able to you know get creativity flowing so i think that's one of the main reasons why modular took off in the first place because yep. it gives us some very focused limitations and it uh, also makes you listen more and and watch the screen less you know exactly exactly and that works with vcv rack as well i think it does it does to a certain degree yeah there is, it, it does lack the physicality of it but um, and, and in many ways, it was just occurring to me that like it would be as if Spotify had created a new interface where you, you use your mouse to take a record off of the shelf and out of its sleeve onto a virtual turntable and put the needle down and things like that. But um, but no, it's a fun it's a very, it's a fun way to sort of uh, with with no expense because these modules can be very expensive. Kind of explore and see like and like you said, what if uh, uh, within the constraint? Uh, because I hear many people who use like. Uh, what is the Apple uh, Logic, Logic Pro, or the Ableton Live? These incredibly powerful pieces of software um, uh, are a little bit too limitless in what you can create, and and sometimes get a little overwhelming and start to just feel like work. Yeah, that's that's a, uh, that's something I hear a lot from people who um, are into modulars. That uh, when they're done with working, and lots of people work with the computer because. Many of them uh, come from from the technological uh, industry, like lots of developers or you know, at least people who work a lot with the computer. So yeah. the last thing you want to do when you are finally done with work is to sit in front of another screen, you know. Which uh, So the modular is understandably uh, a, a very interesting um, way to just relax in the evening probably better than doing lots of other things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, this has been fascinating. You've, uh, I, I think, kind of given us a glimpse into a world that I don't think many people probably even knew existed. Uh, and I just, I, I find the, the whole idea of, of finding your way into a community uh, and, uh, and finding a way through to actually making a living and enjoying your work, just a fascinating story. I, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah, thanks. So. Um, I will encourage everybody to go have a look at this work uh, and and get a sense for just what we're talking about with all these different modules and things like that. You can see your work at papernoise.net. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, you're on where, where? Where else should we send people? Instagram. Uh, yeah, we're we're also on Instagram. Uh, you can find us uh, under papernoise underscore design. I'll put a link to that in the show note. And then uh, uh, find them on Facebook as well. And you can, there's a thriving Eurorack community on Facebook as well. So lots to do. Hannes, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate the conversation. Yeah, thank you. It was great. And that's another episode of Presentable. Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Dean and this was Presentable. Presentable.